My name is Matt Warren, and I'm one of the elders, and uh, I am excited to be teaching. We're uh, in our second week of our series on Malachi, so I invite you to turn in your scriptures uh, to the book of Malachi right before Matthew, and we will be taking a look at the very first verse of this passage. So I'll give you just a second to find it, because it may take just a second. Um, as I we surveyed last week, there's only a couple of us who have actually worked through this book before, and so it should be a, a good series for us on a number of levels. Um, Mason, I'm, I'm going to tip you just really quickly, because you've backpacked through portions of Europe, I guess? Okay. How long did you spend over there? Okay, I'm going to quiz you on what's essential to pack. I was going to talk to you about that earlier, but it, you, you'll probably just rattle it off. Okay, so you're going to help me this morning. Okay, um, so let's read Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, and then we will uh, unpack what the, the meaning of the scripture says this morning. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So this morning, we are going to be talking about the importance of the burden of of the word of the Lord. Now, I start here, and you're going to notice if you're reading uh, the ESV, especially this morning, it says the word oracle. That's not the strongest translation. And so we talked about this on Wednesday night as we were, were addressing the various number of translations that there are for the, the English Bible. Um, but here's one, and this is where doing a little bit of Hebrew word study and those kind of things help us. Um, and it's interesting to me that translators often will make changes in different publications or the years that the, the Bibles were published. So, for instance, if you, does anyone have a 2001 ESV by chance? I'm guessing most people are newer if you're in our church and using the ESV. Um, so what's interesting is if you go back um, to uh, the, the, the ESV in 2001, uh, the word is translated... Um, as oracle there too, um, but in 2007, um, there's some, actually it's in, in Zechariah, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself, let me, let me do this, because um, there's, there's a lot of rich things that, that I'm, I've got swimming in my head this morning around this word, so let me first of all tell you, this, this Hebrew word, and you don't need to remember this, but it may help you, is the word masay, M-A-S-S-A, now, that's, not, that's transliteration, obviously. It would have been different names of the, the Hebrew alphabet, okay? But the idea of masay, it does often mean burden. So let me give you a couple places. If you look over just a couple pages back to the left in the book of Zechariah, look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 1. And if you're reading from the ESV in 2007, this is what I was getting at. Um, it says, the burden of the word of the Lord. If you have a 2001, it says the word oracle there, which is interesting because it means that translators are trying to understand the meaning of this word and the influence that it has in the translation. So uh, in Zechariah, it reads the burden of the word of the Lord. Look at in 9.1, look at verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1 of Zechariah as well. Same exact word, Masay, 12.1, it says, the burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord. Same kind of thing. It's, it's, so it's really interesting to me that, that we have these kind of distinctions there. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is the, the use of the word here. Even though it says oracle and that has a, 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 a fine meaning, there's something about it that really I think ought to emphasize the burden that the word of the Lord is here because of the use of this. So let's, let's do this. Um, 
I want us to go actually to Jeremiah chapter 23. So if you go to Psalms, Proverbs, a little bit after that, you're going to run into the big book of Isaiah, and then after Isaiah is Jeremiah. So Jeremiah chapter 23. And here again is the word Messiah used predominantly in this passage. And we're going to go through this pretty lengthy because I think it helps us understand the importance of the word and its context and use in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah 23, and we're going to pick up in verse 32 um, and read through 40, okay? Um, so here's where we go. It says, Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. So you hear the context. What's happening is there's people that are falsely prophesying, and the Lord is confronting those who are listening to the false prophets. Okay, that's, that's the setup in verse 32. Now let's keep reading 33. When one of this people, these false prophets, or a prophet or priest ask you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. So here's what's happening. They were using this phrase that the false prophets were saying, this is the burden of the word of the Lord. They were, they were manipulating the people using that phraseology and the Lord was confronting the people for letting that happen. Okay, so there's that word. When we see that word burden occur, it's the same exact Hebrew word. So here, it's interesting in the consistency of the context. It's always translated as burden. Masai is translated as burden. So let's keep going in verse 34 and continue to see what the Lord says here. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of these people, or the one of the people who says, the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man in his household. Thus shall you say every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the burden in every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus shall say the prophet, thus you shall say to the prophet, What has the Lord answered you? Or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, then when I sent you to you, saying you shall not say the burden of the Lord, therefore behold. I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave to you and your fathers. And I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. Now, I know that kind of is, is there's a lot of stuff in there, and it's like, it's like there's some redundancy, but I hope you get the picture. What's happening is these false prophets are manipulating the people of God, saying, we've got this word, this burden of the word of the Lord is what you ought to listen to. But the Lord is telling Jeremiah, tell the people that they are responsible to identify that that is a false prophet and they are not to listen to them. Now, that was in the time of Jeremiah, okay? So this is not the same time as when Malachi was prophesying. So it's, it, it presents a different context. So when we come back to Malachi and Zechariah and they're saying this is the burden of the word of the Lord, it's actually an accurate thing for them to be saying because they are truly prophets of God. But here's my point in all of this. When we look at the, t the text in Malachi 1, I think the better translation and the better understanding of this is actually that it is a burden, that the word of the Lord is a burden that we are to identify. It's not just simply an oracle, something said on behalf of God just to kind of that sense. It identifies, more importantly, 
the emphasis or the, the, the nature and person of God who is behind the word being spoken through the prophet. Do you see the distinction? So it's, it's about the weightiness and the importance of what God has to say through this prophet for the people to listen to carefully and respond to. So let's, let's talk about this. If, if we're looking at this, okay, and saying this is not just simply kind of a, a simple message from God, but it is a burden that we need to understand. Let's look at what Masai actually means in the Hebrew. So here's the idea. The word itself is, it, it, it would be translated as a burden or a load. That is something that is carried about with a focus on the effort needed to transport the item. Now that's important to me. Because when I think about, you know, if, if I'm just looking at this as just an oracle, it's just kind of the, the divine message, and I'm not understanding that this is really about the burden of the Lord, I don't necessarily get the idea that this is something to be carried about. This is a load. This is something that's weighty and significant. So here's what I started thinking about. What constitutes a burden? What, what constitutes a burden, burden, the weight of something? It's, it's not something that is light or trifling, is it? Instead, it's something that would be noticeable or substantial. And, and that's where I think emphasizing the word meaning here and Masai and the burden is something to be carried is so essential. So, Mason, this is where I was thinking. If I'm packing a backpack, okay, and I'm, I would had the great opportunity to travel around Europe backpacking like you did, what, three months? Is that about right? Okay. Um, I, I want to know, what were some of the things that you included in your gear, the essential items? Two pairs of socks. Okay, I had socks down. Okay, so you had some gear for a little bit different climates, if it was colder and warm. A sweater, like probably a wool sweater, so it had, if it got wet, it handled the, the water issues better. Cotton kills when you're camping, right? Okay, y'all know that rule, right? Cotton kills if you're out in the, the wet wilderness. Okay, that's helpful for you, Tony. It, it does rub your skin really wrong, get rashes and stuff. So wool is actually better because it wicks the moisture off and all that stuff. Okay, so what else did you have in your backpack? <laughs> did you have a stove? Okay. Okay, sleeping pad. Yeah. Sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah. Water filtration, huge, important. Knife or fire starter. No, I think those are those are great. Um, yeah, so it sounds like you packed well prepared, um, and you probably had a rain jacket or some kind of thing to like a rain gear. What was your courtesy item? Do can you tell? You collect wood, because so, you whittled, probably. Okay, so, so that was his luxury. So, he, so how, how much did your pack weigh with all that gear in it? Okay. <laughs> of course. Okay, so he started off at 40, 45. He collected enough wood to add 20 pounds onto that. That's a lot of luxury. So, so, Mason, as I'm thinking about this, now, I want you to hear kind of my analogy to this, okay? When we think about packing for something like a trip like that, and I've done some hiking around the U.S. And, um, when I was younger, and, and I, 
packed stupid stuff at first, and then I was like, I don't need all that stuff. And so I started like lightening my pack. Um, so think about this. Mason, would you have packed a Christmas ornament? Why not? Break easily? Yeah, and, and you probably wouldn't have wanted to deal with something that fragile in your pack all the time either, okay? Um, would you have wanted to pack like, your, like that trophy that you won as a kid if you played sports or if you got some kind of award at some point? No, okay, don't even bring a book. Okay, because they, they get wet, they're, they're almost useless because then you're just having to dry it out and deal with all the pages and stuff. Okay, um, more importantly, how many of y'all... There, there was one, I got like a small travel Bible. Yeah, I did do that. And you can put it in a Ziploc bag to protect it. Okay. Um, which, like, Mason, do you have a game system right now? I didn't think you were a gamer. Who all owns a game system? Okay, some, several of you do. Brian, do you, do you have a Switch? Do you have an Xbox or a PlayStation? None of those? You have had some different ones over the years. Okay. So I, I've owned an Xbox. I always get, like, kids will, uh, when I was doing youth ministry, the kids would graduate from their one game system. And so they're like, hey, I, I got this old one laying around. You want to buy it? I was like, sure, 25 bucks or whatever. And then I get a bunch of games with it. Um, so I've got an old Xbox. I've got an old PS2, I think. What, I don't even know what PS Playstations are up to now. But Mason, would you pack a PlayStation or an Xbox? Would you even take your Switch? No, because, I mean, a Switch is only, like, that big now, you know, and, but, but why not? Why would you not take those things? You, 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 one, you have to worry about charging it. Two, if it gets wet, you know, it's, it's a lot of expense. Three, you're really not there to do that. It's not the substantial thing that you need to sustain your life. But here's the thing. We do, we do pack a lot of things into our lives, don't we, that are not substantial, Things in our lives that weigh us down and actually burden us, but we don't need to be burdened with them. The word of the Lord, it is a burden worth carrying. When, you, when I kind of thought through this illustration and the backpack idea, I thought, if I were to go camping, there are absolutely certain things that I would put in my pack. Almost exactly the same things that Mason listed. I think if there was anything else, I, I, I did list this. Uh, stove, a pot to cook in, um, and then obviously food, but you wouldn't carry six or three months worth of food at once. You would restock, so you're not carrying that all the time. But you, you would want to, like we didn't have water filtration stuff when, when I was doing my stuff back in the 80s. We, I guess it just wasn't reliable. We just boiled it all. We boiled our water just to get that. And so it was certainly an important thing to have that camp stove, stove that was small and the pot that was small and, and those were essential, but you had to carry them. It was heavy. And I remember walking through Bryce Canyon in the middle of the, the summer heat, and it was a heavy pack. I remember uh, walking through uh, Olympic National Forest outside of Seattle, Washington. Is that right? Portland, Seattle. is outside of Seattle. Um, and hiking up into the, those uh, glaciers, and it was a heavy pack as we're going up this into the mountains. But the things that I needed there were essential for me to carry in, in that pack. And I didn't mind the burden so much because I knew that they were important to my survival. Folks, the Word of God is a burden that we ought to love to carry. D does that make sense? 
And so when, when Malachi begins this letter or this, this prophecy, he's talking about the things that are coming in this are so important that we need to embrace that which is heavy. So why is the weight of Scripture worth bearing? Let me give you some reasons. In it, we learn about the Lord himself. If we don't uh, understand and, and like really embrace the burden of the word of the Lord, we won't really love the Lord and the things of God. And that was one of the things I, I really appreciated our conversation yesterday morning in the, our men's uh, breakfast, uh, going over how God makes men. We, we just investigated the importance of theology and how we uh, see God working through our faith. And if we don't have right theology, then we're not able to, to sustain our faith well. And, and, and so knowing who God is comes first and foremost through the Scripture, according to its truth. So it is certainly worth bearing for that. In it, we learn about heaven. In it, we learn about hell. In the Word, we learn about sin. We learn about salvation. We learn about grace. We learn about mercy. We learn about justice and much, much more. None of those things are light matters, are they? And so we need to learn to, to embrace and love the burden of the Lord. Ultimately, those are re eternal realities with deep, deep and heavy meaning. Yet, oftentimes, I think people will read the Word of God and they go, oh, that's too deep. I don't want to bear the burden. Yeah, Mason. That's a great point. Yeah, 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 that's right. I, uh, so if you couldn't hear him, he said, if you carry something in your pack that you don't really use or need, you begin to resent it. So ironically, as much as you probably love the wood and collecting that for some reason, you're probably like, this is, am I being foolish? And, and it's like, oh, there's, there's something, yeah, extra shirts, that, that's, that's it. Um, so so for, for me, it probably would have been too many clothes on some short packs. Um, it it might have been too much food. Um, maybe because back then, again, we, we might not have carried, like filtered our water, so we're carrying it. And so you might carry too much for a short trip, too. And so that's heavy, um, even though it's life-giving. Um, so so you could, I, I get your point. And so I think as well, when we come to the, the idea of the burden of the Lord, or, or the burden of the word of the Lord, if we are not embracing it, then when we are confronted by it, we do begin to resent the truth of the word of God. And it, it, be, it because it begins to address our hearts, and that's not a good thing. Um, so, let's let's talk about now why is the Lord why is the word of the Lord a burden? Um, I think this is pretty obvious, but I, I want to state it anyhow. The word of the Lord is a burden because it is the word of the Lord. I mean, who it comes from in and of Himself means that the word of, of the Lord is a burden. It's heavy, it's weighty, it's substantial. So what do we learn? If you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Timothy. We're going to do a little bit of Bible drill here. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. And I want to turn there because um, I have this memorized, but I have it memorized in an, a different translation. And so I, I wanted to read this out of the ESV just to be a little bit tighter this morning. Okay, so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says th this. Now remember, this is, this is Paul writing to young Timothy. 
giving him instructions about how to lead and impact the church. Okay, so that, I think that's an important piece because Timothy's been given responsibilities to establish further leadership, okay? So in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, we read, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, some other translations said inspired, okay, or is God breathed. Now, I want to stop and, and give you this picture of what inspiration is. We talked about it even uh, yesterday morning. It's this picture that uh, the, there's a ship, and, and remember in biblical times, ships were not moved or, or uh, propelled by steam or gas or diesel or anything like that. They would have been uh, either by rowing or by sails, okay? And so the picture, the word image of inspired or God-breathed is that of the sail, so that the author would be the ship and the inspiration is God breathing through the Holy Spirit into the sails that would move that man as he writes. So, so imagine you have Matthew over here, the gospel writer. You have John. You have uh, Luke who wrote Acts and uh, the gospel of Luke. You have the writer of Hebrews. You have Paul, various writers. Each one of those is kind of his own ship. They have their own personality, their own, like if we were to describe them, they would be different. But the Holy Spirit moves each of them. So, so they have, so you can read, when you read the Bible, you see that these men have different distinctives about their use of language, about the tone and things. They're, maybe it's the, the audience to which they're writing. But all of these things, are, they're in, in all of these things, these men are moved by the Spirit of God. Inspired. Now let's look in a little further. Say it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, so we get this huge, great description. It's very broad of the importance of the Word of God. So when he inspired this Word, it does so many things in our lives and for us. And then ultimately, he gives us even a deeper purpose here as he's writing to the young Timothy Paul does. He says, that the man, so, so like there's this result, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, so the burden of the Lord is, I, I think that backpack image is so good because when we're out camping and we're, we're are hiking, we need to have those things that so we're competent and we're equipped to survive in the wilderness. And, and the Word of God does so much more than just help us survive. It, it is that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it corrects and it reproves and it trains us, it teaches us. That's what the Word of God is and what it's for. And, and folks, is that a burden? Yeah, it is in some ways. But it's a burden that is worth carrying. Mason, thanks for being a good illustration this morning. I, mean, I got one more good question. I, I, may, I may have more in a minute. Um, I don't know. But did you have fun when you backpacked through Europe? Would you do it again? Okay. If you can't hear him, it was quick. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and I get it, man. Why? Because even though you have that burden for those times, that, that time, it is the, the experience of that is, is so worth it. Folks, if we would learn to love the burden of the word of the Lord, our lives would be different. And I'm not saying that you don't, but I think each of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can hit a limit with how much we want to endure or how much we want to know the Word of God or how much we invest in it. So I think it's, 
interesting that the, that the word of the Lord is that burden and it communicates all those things. Now, there's an, another reason that the word of the Lord is a burden. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. Um, we were in Jeremiah earlier, so turn over a little further. It'll be right after Psalms and uh, the wisdom literature, Isaiah chapter 6. This comes out of that familiar passage where Isaiah is confronted um, in that vision. He sees the, the, the Lord in glory, okay, and the train of his robe filling the heavens and all those things. And the, and the Lord confronts him and calls him to go and, and speak to the, the people, okay? And so here's what's interesting. We're, we think about why the, the word of the Lord is a burden and the value of it for us as believers, that we ought to embrace it and cherish it. But for some, listen to what Isaiah describes in, in verses 9 and 10. And the Lord, this is the Lord speaking, okay, as Isaiah recorded this. Um, let's pick up an 8 just to get a little bit more context. He says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Okay, we're really familiar with that. Then let's, let's read verse 9 and 10 now. And he said, This is the Lord saying to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Oh, do you hear the intensity of what the Lord has told Isaiah, he is going to preach to some people and he's going to tell them, you're not going to respond. The burden of the word of the Lord is actually going to lead some people to be hardened towards the things of the Lord. That is hard to think about. But, but we know that that's true, right? We, we know that even Jesus is considered to be a what? Stumbling block to some. And, and folks, I'll be honest. That's probably one of the, the points that, that I can be in greatest tension about as a pastor. As you think about the responsibility to teach and preach the word, you just know that some people are going to be blind and deaf to it. And they're, they're not going to respond. And it's, it's sad. It, it's, it's grossly sad. It, it's, it's frustrating in, in a sense. But that's just the reality. And the truth is, you're going to encounter people like that in your own lives. You're going to build relations with relationships with folks, and you're going to try to share the gospel with them, and you're going to talk to them about the things of the Lord, and they're simply going to deny it because their eyes are darkened to the things of God, their hearts decline it, their ears don't want to hear it. And that doesn't mean that we stop by any means, but it does mean that we need to expect that the burden of the Lord, is, or the word of the Lord, is too heavy them to understand and respond to. And, and they may never. It, it, it's, it's awful. But it should also sober us to the point where we're seeking out those who do want to respond. That we as believers take the burden, we share the, the, the importance of the word, the, the, the nature of, of God with one another in such a way that we are contemplating him consistently. So, so let me share this. And, and, and I, I think this is good, a good thought. It's, it's again, the, the word of the Lord is going to meet with opposition of those, those folks, okay? And here's why, and I'm going to clarify this just a little bit. To them, the word of the Lord is an aroma of death. 
That, that's, whoa, wait a second. But it is. For most of us here, the word of the Lord is what? It's the aroma of life, isn't it? And, and that's where there's a great distinction. And so we, we need to be aware of that. And, and we need to, uh, because it is an aroma of life for us, we need to pour into the word with one another. So um, I'll, I want to share this from my, my perspective for just a minute. Because I think, um, for how many of you have taught the Bible at some point or level? I know many of you have probably in here, okay. Um, you'll, you'll understand this a little bit more. Even if you've taught like at a VBS or uh, you're teaching in children's ministry, this is an important idea. Um, and I, I think you'll probably have experienced this as well. The, the burden of the word of the Lord is very unique when you sit in this kind of position where you're teaching. Because what it, it does is every time you teach, you're reminded of your previous life apart from Christ and then who you are now. So there's a, a reminder of sin and the burden of sin. You're, you're reminded of who you were apart from Christ. You, you, you feel even at points the burden for people and their, their lostness. And, and for them to uh, gain the insight and, and the hope and have their faith increased. So every time you, you teach, there's something happening. And, and, there, and I'll be honest, and this is not to be about me by any means, but there is oftentimes such a burden that you leave the pulpit and you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm exhausted. And it's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual, emotional things that go into this. And here's another piece of this. Why it's so heavy in, is in, in this sense? Because it requires hard work and preparation. You, you can't do what someone does in this position lightly. And I hope y'all understand, I do not take the teaching of the word lightly. Michael does not take, take the teaching of the word lightly. Other people in our church who are teaching do not take that burden lightly. I think that's one of the, the I hope to be one of the strengths of our church, is that we are so uh, intentional about making sure that the word of the Lord is taught well, that, that we're solid in that sense. And we do feel the burden of that. Women, I'll, I'll share this about Gina. Um, I hope you don't mind me doing this because I didn't ask permission. But when she gets into book studies and Bible studies, she will call me and she'll say, Matt, what do you think about this? Because she's burdened for doing the right things in what we're teaching and how we're teaching them. And so I appreciate that heart and intentionality that she possesses. And she's um, investing in other ladies so that they are uh, feeling that same kind of responsibility with the word. So the word of God is also in another sense, a burden in this way, and it's a good way, because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing the bone and the marrow, okay? So it just pierces into us. Even when I'm teaching, like there's things that I didn't think about or didn't prepare for that all of a sudden will flood my heart and my mind. I don't know, Gene, if you have that experience, or Michael, you have that. Tony, you said you've taught, and I know the words have said that they've taught some um, but, but it's, it's amazing because you think, oh, I'm, I'm trying to exhaust this passage to, to teach or preach. And then there's this new burden <laughs> that arises in you as you're doing it. And, and that's, honestly, it's, it's good. <laughs> because it reminds me of a need to, to remain humble, to be teachable, and to always be malleable 
to the word of God because it is authority for me. And, and I will never plumb its depths. Neither will you. And that, that makes it a, 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 um, a matter of joyful pursuit. So, so I think this is part of it. And you, and you guys will, I think, remember back if you were here, especially last week um, or maybe on Wednesday nights, um, like when I start unpacking certain things, you can tell, like I, I'll even say this, are we having fun yet? Or you can tell you have, I'm having fun because the word of the Lord, even though it can be hard and confronts, it also produces more joy than anything else, right? And now, obviously, the person of God does more than just the word, but, but we, we, we get this, this dynamic in that. Does that make sense? And so I don't want to parse that apart too much, but there's a cheerfulness when, when someone's real, really submitted rightly to, work, to the word of the Lord. The burden provides cheer. It's, it's not just a, an awful burden. And I think that comes back to the hiking metaphor. So if you're in the, you've had a long day on the trail and you finally get to your spot where you're going to pitch your tent and, or lay your bag down, there's something special about unrolling that bedroll and crawling into the sleeping bag and getting a good night's rest. And so, yes, that burden, you, you're like, oh, man, that was heavy for the day. But, oh, to crawl in it and to use it, it's like it gives you relief. It, it, you understand what it's about, and there's a joy and a cheerfulness. So, so here's my, take that analogy just a step further. When we've engaged with the, the word of the Lord rightly, the fruit ought to be to produce a joy in us and a cheerfulness for bearing the burden. Does that, does that make sense? That, that when we contemplate the things of God rightly, it lifts us. Even though it may be weighty for a moment, there is a, a relief, a, a, a joy, a profound sense of light endurance, like a, a growth of feeling freedom because of what the Word produces in us. Does that make sense? So let me remind you this. Um, I think this is another piece of what, why the, the word of the Lord is a burden. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. It's a burden for what it requires of us. It's a burden for what it requires of us. Look at verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay careful, or uh, let me back up. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we no neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So, here's what is so interesting about that passage. We are required to pay what kind of attention? Much closer attention. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when I was a teenager, and maybe even a little bit younger than that, I did not have a attention span that was one that I played, paid much closer attention to things. <laughs> I, I tend to be like, oh yeah, I got it, and I'd move on, right? But the things, as I matured, I began to learn the things that I paid much closer attention to, I actually got much better at, 
or had much better skills in um, or enjoyed a whole lot more. Can you think about those things in your life where that may be true? Like especially sports is one. Um, Because if you pay much more attention to certain disciplines in sports, you improve quite a bit. So we we even, um, this is nerdy stuff, but... um, we had this thing in the winter. I was, I was a tennis player um, from 8th grade to, to 12th grade. I, I was on uh, the varsity team. I practiced as an 8th grader, and then I started making varsity-level playing uh, by my ninth grade year. So we played year-round. So in the winter, when it was too wet or too cold, we couldn't go out on the courts. I, I mean, but this is how serious we were. I remember playing on the courts at some points in the winter. The courts were dry enough, but with gloves on. Okay, it was, it was dumb. Okay, but we were serious. Now, here's how crazy serious we got. We got into a library room at one point, and we did this thing called CyberVision. We would watch, does anybody remember Stan Smith by chance, the tennis player? Okay, good, Scott, thanks. Um, So I'm not a loon. So Stan Smith supposedly had the most perfect tennis swing at that point in tennis history. So what they did is they recorded Stan Smith hitting his ground strokes and certain things, and we would watch him do the same ground stroke, and I can, I mean, like, I can still hear, like, the, the rhythm of the ball hitting and watching him do this ground stroke again and again, and so we'd watch the forehand for 10 minutes, and then we'd watch the backhand for 10 minutes, and then we'd go watch him serve for 10 minutes, and we would do that through ground strokes. Why, why on earth would we do that? Because supposedly, the visuali- visualizing those strokes actually made us better, There's actually, Rain, this will be interesting for you as a basketball player. There's actually been studies done on if someone visualizes a free throw shot, okay, versus someone who doesn't practice it at all, versus someone who goes out and practices it consistently. um, I think those were the three levels. So they ran a, a test of like 100 shots each. The one who did the visualization improved almost exactly as much as the one who went out and shot the 100 shots just by the visualization of that. So, so what's the point, okay? As I think about this idea of paying much closer attention, how are we doing to pay much closer attention to the things of the Lord? Are we contemplating the things of the, God, uh, things of the Lord consistently? Does the, the, the word of the Lord have so much of our attention that it's the first thing that we're thinking about when we run into struggles or we have somebody share something and we go oh here's where the word of the Lord meets that need and appeals to our hearts and our minds or we so like well we're kind of like yeah I know the word of God's important but we don't memorize it but or we don't contemplate on it we're not spending time daily in it see then we're not paying much closer attention and the, the word here says if we don't pay much closer attention, what is our propensity? What, what's, what do we endanger ourselves to do? Did you catch that? Look, look back at verse um, 3, right? No, let me, oh no, it's in verse 1. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, what? Lest we drift away from it. See, I think, the, 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 to me, the biggest danger is if we don't embrace the Word of God, our tendency is going to be to drift. I, I, I don't know about you, 
But that has certainly proven true in my own life. If I'm not spending quality time in the Word, I'm drifting. I'm drifting. My attitude may be shifting. And I become more negative or critical instead of being positive and, and seeing the best in things. I, I can certainly find myself more easily tempted to sin or, or find temptation of sin just overwhelming me. That, that's because I'm drifting from what anchors me rightly. That's the Word of God. So our, our intent ought to be to pay much closer attention to the Word of God. So I, I would ask these questions. How does, uh, or what is it that you listen to? What is it that you listen to in your day? A, a, a lot of white noise in our world right now, right? I, I think one of the most dangerous ones, to me at least, and I, I, really, I have it, but I really try to discipline myself on it, is this thing. What, what is that? Y'all are going to know right away. What is it? Facebook, right? What are you doing on Facebook? You scroll, and then you might go, oop, I want to see a little bit more, and then you go back out, and you start scrolling up, right? I, I, I love it, but I also hate it, because I can all of a sudden find myself having wasted a lot of time, and getting into arguments, that, uh, maybe even worse, is Twitter, because Twitter's kind of the same thing, and then if you go down the Twitter hole, you start seeing people just like dump thoughts, and it's like, oh, this is just a mess. And I heard some great advice. This is going to be free this morning. Um, I heard some great advice. Someone said, I don't remember where it was um, that I heard this or read it or whatever, but um, they said, too many people today are on social media spouting their ideas when they are not experts. They have an opinion, but they really ought not to weigh in because their opinion is not developed well enough or they don't have the background to really contribute to the, the discussion. I think that is so true. It's, it's this, before you push sin, have you thought about the consequences and prayed about it? That, that would just be like a, a simple rule of thumb. Is it going to escalate things or is it going to bring peace to this matter? I don't know how many times I've, I've started to like rant on something and I'm like, nope, that does not need to be sin. Delete, 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 delete. Because it will only inflame things. That's what I see on social media a ton. And, and that is just white noise. It's listening to the wrong things. So be careful with that. Wh whom do you listen to? Or to whom do you listen? It, are, are they people that are going to encourage and edify you? Or are they just people that stir things up? I've talked to friends. We've stopped following certain people on social media because all they do is inflame things. And it's not worth paying attention to that because that that is just unhealthy bottom line it's just unhealthy god has spoken to us and this is so interesting here through his son through the word are you listening to him are you listening to him i would ask you this compare how are you doing listening to the word versus these other things how, how much time are you spending? Where's your attention? What, not only where's your attention, but what has more weight or value? I think sometimes, if we're being honest with ourselves, the things of the world will take over and have a greater burden and feel more substantial than the Word of God. That, that's indicting to me. 
right? Because I, I can get, like, here's one of my struggles. I can watch the news and get absorbed in the news. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I'm, I like four or five days of just all I do is watch the news. It consumes me, and then I've, I've lost time in the Word. So I have to really be careful about how I resource events and, and, and news things. Because it can just train wreck me, honestly. So, so that's one of those things I've got to really be wise and discerning in. That's for me. What is it for you? Maybe it's time with friends, may, you know, and you're, you're spending more time texting and doing those things. Maybe it's you just want to read fiction. Maybe it's, I don't know what your issue might be, but how are you spending time listening to the Word of God? Um, this is interesting. I think this is kind of that, that um, I hope helps us here. When we want to spend time with someone or, or do something, what do we do? Say it again. We make it happen, right? We, we adjust our schedules, right? Folks, if we're going to be people of the Word of God, because we recognize the help that comes to us from the Word of God, we ought to prioritize it. Over and over again, throughout leadership and pastoral training and accountability stuff, a lot of times people will say, I can look at your calendar and tell you what's of value to you. I was talking to somebody this last week about the importance of having a daily routine, like wake-up routine, and a daily shutdown routine. Is the Word of God placed into one of your daily routines? That would be, like, if you don't do a daily routine, I would suggest, highly suggest, you, like, write down what you want your daily routine to look like and do your best to structure some part of your morning or some part of your evening in a certain way, and it includes the Word of God. So, so that you are prioritizing that in a healthy way. Um, lastly, I want to deal with one, one last group that experiences the burden of the word of the Lord in a different way. And that group is those who are not yet saved. And I want all of us to, to think about this. Because for those of, uh, of us who may can remember back and, and think through this, because I remember vis vividly, because when I came to Christ, I was 20. So I remember the, the month, I, I, was, I came to Christ in July, okay, that's when I accepted the Lord. I, I remember it because I was older. And, but I remember starting to really struggle through some things as early as May of that year. So I spent several months just wrestling with the Lord himself. And one of the things that I look back on and remember is this, this period of my life where I was trying to get relieved of the burden of the word of the Lord. I, I, was, I was trying to figure out where I was in relationship. I, what, I knew I, I thought I was saved, but I wasn't. I couldn't figure it out. And what I was doing is constantly wrestling. I was trying to escape the burden of conviction. Does anybody else remember that point in your life? And here's what it looked like for me. I was justifying myself, looking at uh, all the people that were around me and saying, well, I'm better than them. My life's a little bit better, you know, put together than theirs because the Lord's blessing me. And I was trying to justify all these things, trying to escape conviction. There was another way I tried to escape conviction and relieve the burden of the word of the Lord. I would blame shift. It wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault <laughs> that, that life was this way. I, I, I've got my act together enough, it's, but, but there's aspects... It, it just, I, I didn't want to take responsibility. Uh, I relieved, I tried to relieve the burden in another way um, by making light 
of everything I did in life. So like there's a counseling principle that, that struck me when I, I got into seminary. There's, there were some guys that were like, I, had, I don't know if, if you guys remember this in college, guys would like TV talk. Does that make sense? All they would do is like quote lines from shows. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like they, they lived in that, it's like they were trying to relieve the burden of what relationships were really like and making light of everything. And, and, and so I was kind of one of those guys. I hung with them for sure. But we're trying to, I think the part of it was we're trying to relieve the burden of the seriousness of life and who we were apart from Christ by just laughing at everything, somehow turning everything into a joke. And that's a way that people will try to, the lost will especially try to relieve the burden of conviction. Um, I, and we could go on and on. I could list a ton of ways that lost people try to relieve the burden of the word of the Lord. They, they want to say, well, I know these things, but they don't operate in faith and trust. That's what it boils down to. So I want to ask you this, if that's you, I really want you to think and begin to, to search out your heart and to consider why you're trying to escape the good burden of the Lord. Because here's the promise. Jesus says what about his burden? He says, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Yet, when we're lost, we think that that yoke is harsh or heavy, and the burden is unbearable. And it's exactly the opposite. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you're lost, and you're trying to, to gain relief from the burden of the word of the Lord, as he's convicting you, he's drawing you to him, surrender to Christ by grace through faith. It is the greatest relief of burden. You will find joy. You will find freedom. You will find the truth of Jesus' statement that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For us that already know him, I would ask you this. How are you responding to the burden of the word of the Lord? Is it your joy? Is it that which you delight in? Is it that which you wake up or you go to bed with? And it is part of your daily routine where it's breathing into you life. And you're finding more and more that the burden of Jesus is light, that his yoke is easy because the word of God is changing you, it's sanctifying you, it's giving you freedom, and you're falling more and more in love with Jesus. So that's, that's the point. So when Malachi begins this message, talking about this burden, it is certainly going to confront the people. <laughs> we, we, there's, it is undeniable that he's going to hold up mirror. To, to the people, to the priest, to the, the families. I mean, it's every kind of group of, of folks in this letter. And we, we surveyed that last week. And he knows that it's a burden, but he also knows that it's a burden worth packing because it is what transforms our lives. Folks, I would hope that we will continue to be people of the word, that we would love God's word, that we would share it with one another, that we would commune in such a way that we elevate it uh, in one another's lives, that we'd speak the truth of Scripture in such a way that we are encouraging one another by the hope and the promise that we would together pay much closer 
attention to it. It's, it's the word of life. And I know y'all know that, but to package this, I think, in this way at the beginning of the series is so essential. And, and let us therefore embrace it. Let us therefore embrace it rightly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we are so grateful for you and who you are, for the way you reveal yourself so clearly to us, or that the, the word of God is alive and active. Lord, let us be a people who cling tightly to the word so that you are glorified. Lord, we, we um, talked this, this last Saturday, yesterday morning, um, at length about what it means to abide in Christ. Lord, that, that is a, a thought that just stirs me up all the time when I, I think back on that out of uh, John 15. That, that we are to abide in you. And Lord, part of that abiding is for us to be people that contemplate on your word because your word is truth. And it is what um, helps us to, to understand you, to find hope. And Lord, though it is weighty, it relieves us in so many ways of the wrong kind of weights, the wrong kind of burdens that we will get so easily entangled with. So, Father, I pray just this simple prayer now. Help us to be people of your word. And Lord, I would, I would just ask for every one of us to think through the things that might, um, might have come up this morning where we might be convicted and go, yeah, this is an area that I, I'm missing out in or an area that I've got prioritized wrong or an area that I need to change, an attitude that I need to reshape or correct. Lord, let us be surrendered in those areas so that we can rightly walk with you and enjoy you. For that's your desire for every one of us. So Father, we uh, thank you again for the time that we've had to worship, the time that we've had to come consider your word. Now, as we go out from this place today, Lord, may your spirit go with us. I pray that you would pour out your blessings upon everyone who's gathered here. For the guys that are coming back from trail life, uh, guard over them or watch over them and guard them as they travel. Lord, keep them um, safe in every way. And Lord, we also know that you want to um, bless us together as a body as they come back and share how their fellowship and time together was fruitful. Uh, not only in just the lives of the boys, but in the lives of the men together, especially boys and sons together. Father, um, we just thank you for the, uh, the day. We look forward to serving you through this week. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So I want to encourage you, uh, again, as we always do, go and connect in communities and change lives by sharing the love and the good news, which is the Word of God, with people so that they understand the hope that we possess. Have a great Sunday afternoon. If you're a guest with us here today, we're certainly thankful that you are here to worship with us, and we look forward to getting to know you just a little bit better. Have a, a great Sunday afternoon.